Uh, today is Fauci wait a long time for these next two days, Natalie. Tell us what do you think is going to happen, and more importantly, what should happen. Well, it's always an honor to come on after Lara Logan growing up. I watched her on 60 Minutes, so she served as a massive source of inspiration for me. But someone who has not been an inspiration for me is, of course, Anthony Fauci, who is, of course, today for seven hours and tomorrow uh, going to be giving a, an interview testimony behind closed doors, unfortunately, but to members of the House Committee on the coronavirus pandemic. Now, the people were asking the questions. I think we need to really make sure that we're calling their offices, primarily Brad Wenstrup, to make sure that the questions that they're asking Anthony Fauci are not weak. I would personally categorize the questions that they're going to ask him into three very important silos. One would be the lead up to the COVID pandemic. That being, we can get him on the fact that he lied about funding gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Of course, the systemic culture that's been produced at the NIAID, where we see U.S. taxpayer dollars going, not just to Chinese Communist Party-run labs, but PLA and Chinese military-run operations. I also think we need to focus on the second silo, which is actually during the pandemic. That's, of course, his reversal on things like mask mandates. But more importantly, I think we need to drill down on the vaccines, the efficacy, the data skewed, the deals cut with Pfizer and Moderna, and more importantly, after how Anthony Fauci has profited from the pandemic and continues. Hang on one second. Short break. Natalie, Fauci, remember, it's under oath. It's under oath. Do you think the team over there at the subcommittee and the staff, do you think they're up to the task? Because they're going to get two days with Fauci here, hopefully get a criminal referral going. But do you think they're up to the task? Uh, Empirically, my answer would be no. I don't think we have a lot of fire breathers on the Hill. Also, when you, you know how compromised the Hill is by big pharma lobbyists and those types, I don't think... They're going to bite the hand that feeds them. But luckily, we have groups like, you know, the U.S. Right to Know um, and all these investigators like Laura Logan, like the people you highlight on this show, who are sort of doing their work for them. I know we'll talk about this in another show. There's a bombshell story dropping that in 2017, Sher Jung Lee, that is the Wuhan Institute of Virology's bat lady, actually went to the NIAID, that is Fauci's offices, to have a meeting to talk about her research, I would advocate that NIAID is the first agency uh, that, that gets shut down when we have the government shut down. But PLA-linked bio uh, researchers are now quite literally accessing America's biosecurity facilities. Now, we're going to have we're going to have you on tomorrow go in more depth. This is a bombshell story. Why never came out? Another syllabus journal entry. We're doing women leading America's intelligentsia. We're looking at some of the powerhouses of within academia and journalism within the, the larger think tank apparatus of American society. We're looking we're looking at those um, contributors who are women who have the most to offer, who have the, the heaviest hitting 
track record of reporting on subjects that no one else wants to talk about. So, welcome back. Just take a few minutes here to do our best to introduce, in, in our view, in the view of um, of Looking Glass Forum, and all of our divisions, right, and all of our, all of our the members of our agency, and all those who who work with us, and all the different projects that we have trying to cobble together in this era of a collapsing and failing American economy, a dissolving border, and the coming to life. To, to real life, all of the quote-unquote conspiracy theories, putting my fingers up with those quotes, all the conspiracy theories are coming to life and all the, the cowardly, worthless, middle-grade American traitors, right? The Biden voters across America are basically in a state of shock because they now have to do, deal with total cognitive dissonance and a total breakdown of their speculative, illusory worldview, wherein they had ultimately found themselves in the place of insanity and disgrace and as traitors punching holes into the, the, the ship of, of America's state and at every level chiseling away and working vigorously to destroy and to further America's national suicide project that they have going on there. And so on the other side of it, we have in every way the breakout of this new American revolution, this new... Civil War 2.0 all in one, the sudden call to arms in a manner of speaking politically, you know, as into political action and to secure our election coming up. And I think everyone is concerned about what will happen with our election and how we will go forward if these maniacal and backstabbing deep state degenerates, right, if they ultimately have a way finding a way to cause enough fires, right, and work with our enemies, work with the Chinese Communist Party or, or the Russians or whoever, to create enough chaos in the world to stop the election, right, or to, to keep Trump off the ballot. So it's just this whole, it's this whole insane process. We can't really look to the Supreme Court to really save us here. We have to, the American people have to awaken. And just how you see the the battlefield being prepared by our enemies. We have to get get up, get up early, begin to do. Have you done your AI training today? Have you gone on Twitter and some of these other uh, places where they're they're training AI, artificial intelligence? It's important that you go on there and you push out your political views and you state openly your your opinions on things and push back against this perverted worldview that they're trying to train into these artificial intelligence machines. Right? It's important that we go over there and stipulate and put information so when the artificial intelligence, when all the equipment goes through and scrapes off all the data, that the information about how a man is a man and a woman is a woman and transgender women are really just men, et cetera, et cetera. Not to be mean, but just to state reality so that we don't have an insane and sick and kind of mentally ill artificial intelligence program learning a distorted and altered, deviated perspective of reality which doesn't exist we have to protect against that serious business 
So go do your AI training, guys. Go out there and work hard to push out you know, the information that humans really think and put out the data, leave the comments, share the images, do the things that need to be done so that the artificial intelligence can, can learn what's really happening and the, the accurate historical view of what's taking place. And um, so, of course, here we have to recognize, as we, as we do here, which is our want to point out how exceptional America is, and there's no greater barometer or greater gauge or metric for this exceptionalism than if you look at the particularly refined and highly distinguished and exceptionally, exceptionally brilliant and equally courageous and polished journalists in our country who have to be women. And they have to be real women because they're, they're chromosome, we have to do a chromosomal test and we have to make sure. But needless to say that there's no other place in, in world history or in the world today in a contemporary historical level that could have the equipment and the institutions and the foresight in the past to incentivize this meritocracy where, by which women are now set to play a most decisive and, and phenomenal role in history in this fight for human liberty. And so I think that you can see that over the course of time, women have the right to vote. And ultimately, I think we're forced into the work, into the workforce, as it were, after World War II, to make up for the shortfalls of the value of money and, and the shortfalls of a, of a stagnating economy. And I think that, that after 1929, after the Great Depression, we would go into this fiat currency period and slowly but surely they would take away all the gold and remove us from the gold standard altogether. And you can see that this unique and privileged American place in history allows for the rise of female liberation in a way that the world has never seen, right? So we're living it. It's normal to us. Other places and other people come to America to find that human liberty is extended totally and utterly to every single individual person. And this changes the place and the value placed on women immediately when they come in this country. It's a place where women can't find themselves imprisoned and have an acid thrown on their faces because they didn't wear a headscarf, etc. Right? In America, the dark ages and the primitive, kind of superstitious, mountain goat, idol-worshipping, hillbilly ideology that prevails doesn't necessarily hold sway here in America. And so that women are in Walmart or women anywhere in America as they are being, you know, they're coming as like a magnet. Like we said, like the osmotic pressures of the human population flows that are being orchestrated with UN bases and UN camps, right? That are ushering these individuals in. And so it's a conveyor belt, you know, and this is the State Department is utterly traitorous and the, the federal government has become such an owned body of corrupt traitors that the, and they're, they're, they're desperately working hard to sell out the American people to such an extent with such a massive betrayal that the states and the people need to seize back power immediately from them and they have no right and they have no more grant and they have no more consent of authority from us, right? That's where we're at. But be that as it may, we have to focus here uh, that obviously on Natalie Winters and in the due course of time, that resume already and even as a young woman, just going through and listening to some of the important points that she decides to pull out and discuss and interview on War Room goes to show just even at this point, goes to be a remarkable and marvelous example that we really can't pass over any more than we can really pass over Alex Jones and, and Tucker Carlson, right? And just some of these like occasions where 
it's uh, the, the the meaning of the discussion and the participants and who they are is so meaningful and symbolic that it it's it's showing the contemporary change and the brilliance and the hope of America's people and, and, and America's historical fight here once again for liberty or over tyranny and for freedom over this terror that these globalists are inflicting. So the courageous individual and a, a courageous, brilliant journalist and thinker and, you know, to, you know, as far as all the, so far, all the winners of America's elite journalist awards have been women that are re- remarkably intellectually refined and polished so that it's, it's striking. And you know immediately, and even even in 50 years, when we rewind the tape and look, we'll know that these are Americans, right? American women who are pushing forward the fight for freedom in the and breaking forward in this battle of intelligentsia, right? So... Here is Natalie Winters, young, ready, fighting, making a massive difference where other journalists, the aged out, right, worthless, sycophant Obama worshipers at the Washington Post with their massive salaries or whatever these people all do all day. It's not journalism, right? It's just a systematic network of lying and mockingbird corporate intelligence operations through the press and the media, social media networks and so on. And you can see here, that breaking through all that and searching and casting about incessantly for something that's true and something that's inherently and fastidiously based in reality and fact to the point where you can begin to like base decisions and, and base a, a firm understanding of what's really going on in the world on these reports, right? You're looking for some kind of accurate news accounting, right? And so you got to turn away in mass from these propaganda networks and you, and then we discover here lo and behold well you know bring bring forth to us from other individuals who previously already understood the talent and even the wherewithal of the talent at a young age to try to apparently go and which i'm not an expert on this subject of uh, miss natalie winters other than the, to observe that the quality of the information there and then of course the instrument of the personality and you know and all of our Elite journalists over here are incredibly handsome women, naturally. And so with all that going for us as Americans, you can see that there is a great reason for hope in the future, a great reason to look forward and see another generation coming forward who hopefully will be able to, like Joshua, our you know, generation, be able to go and take the land, as it were, to see the victory through, to see their own children, you know, carrying on in the victory that we're all hoping here now to achieve, which is, of course, as Steve Bannon will say, we haven't seen the hard days yet. I think that's the case. I think they're still trucking in the, uh, the, all the individuals and busing and flying in all the people over the border, you know, getting all the hard days of pain in position, right? So the days of pain and difficulty have not yet begun. So here we go. This is a war against Trump and it's a war against the American people. And we've had to see, looking about for the glimmer of truth, the illumination of the these individuals, and we will keep them coming forward. We have other people, and of course, this this is not. I'm only now discovering myself, the the individuals in the town, and the people that are such a powerful force of American liberty and freedom, and the the arising echelon of 
American women who are going to be qualified and who are going to fight the battle and end up in some manner or right, whether we, you know, whether it's us who discover them in time or not on this list, this list of the most elite and remarkable minds who are shaping the way we think and who we must go to. Uh, and, and even uh, Amy Kelly, who's not all, you know, necessarily outright a journalist, but her journalism over there with uh, Daily Clout. You know, so these particularly marvelous thinkers are going to shine out and we can claim them proudly as only Americans can for our cause. Because when we look over to the left, you know, they're just sellouts. There's no brilliant minds doing any remarkable work that are women, right? To their, to their shame and their disgrace over there on the left. But maybe they have some pink-haired women with chest tattoos running around macing people with Hamas flags. I don't know what women do on the left to achieve greatness or immortality or to register on the Richter scale of history. But that is not, that is not the way. But let us here, over here, let us show you the way. All right? and, and you can receive the light, as it were. And so, as always, we will just cease to keep on blathering on as you know, and we will listen to excerpts that we can find of Natalie Winters and her interesting and remarkable and also very charming and dare say, you know, like we said, easy on the eyes, right? Easy on the eyes. That's what they say. That's what they say down south. And so we will proceed now with Natalie Winters and look how carefully and incisive and laser-like and incisive and cutting her intellectual acumen can be and it's fascinating let's listen Ellie Winters uh two things number one the the nobody's done a better job of being on Fauci Fauci at the CIA I want to deal with this first and then we've got to deal with the impeachment hearing tomorrow because the Democrats are going to come hard on this thing and I'm not feeling that right now let's start with Fauci what do we know about why is Fauci at the Central Intelligence Agency ma'am yeah, we have new documents or at least a search for records to corroborate what is reports coming from the House Committee on the Coronavirus Pandemic that Anthony Fauci was escorted without any record, without any trace of him actually being there um, into the CIA to actually advise, I would probably use the word bully, um, some of the agency's investigators, particularly on the origins of COVID-19. And you have to remember this story is coming on the heels of what was really another blockbuster allegation from the same congressional committee um, that these investigators had also been bribed financially uh, to support the natural origins theory about COVID-19 and basically debunk the lab leak theory called the people who you know dared to say the words Wuhan Institute of Virology um, conspiracy theorists. So I think there's a lot to unpack here beyond just the fact that Anthony Fauci is you know establishing some sort of back channel with the CIA, because I think it really raises the question. Uh, there's sort of two, I would say, avenues of thought to go down here. One is that Anthony Fauci publicly maintains that he doesn't really know anything about the origins of COVID, that he thinks it was likely a product of a spillover from a wet market event. So what internal knowledge does he have that would prompt him or make him need to go to the CIA, you know, in the dead of night for a secret briefing? And I think that goes back to, frankly, a lot of the reporting that we covered on this show, which is that what we've always maintained, the only reason that Anthony Fauci has ever been referred to as an expert on COVID-19, it was never the mask mandates, the vaccine or public health policies. It was always the fact that he was play, played an intimate role in the creation of the virus by funding the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Um, because, again, remember, his public posture on this has always been 
you know, oh, well, we don't really know. Yeah, I guess China's sort of withholding some of the genomic sequences, but we're not really sure, right? He doesn't have any smoking guns. So it's very curious that he would have some level of information that needs to be shared with the CIA, or he's just not sharing it with the American public. But I think it goes back to the fact that this really is just sort of operation cover-up. Uh, I also think it's important, like I said, to stress the fact that, again, the CIA, these very same investigators, it was a team of seven of them, and six of the seven leaned toward a lab leak theory. But the way that the media and the IC report that was hailed by Joe Biden as evidence that his regime is tough on China reported out the CIA's findings was that it was inconclusive. I don't know about you, but I would say six out of seven is a pretty conclusive number. But I also think it just goes back to the bigger picture about the origins of COVID, which, of course, the Chinese Communist Party played an integral role through the PLA-controlled Wuhan Institute of Virology. But like so much of the damage that has been inflicted on this country by the Chinese Communist Party, it's always done in tandem with the administrative state, in this case, with the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. And I think it's very curious that most of the reporting that we've seen about really trying to toy um, and mess around with the conclusion on where COVID-19 came from, apparently they really cared about what the CIA thought, right? Because a lot of the agencies were conducting their own internal assessments, but between the bribery, between Anthony Fauci, like I said, establishing a back channel, secretly appearing there with no trace, no records of him visiting, um, I really think it's interesting why they care so much about what the CIA had to say about the origins of COVID. And I think it goes back to our original theory of the case, which is that it's the Chinese Communist Party in tandem with the administrative state in the form of what is the you know medical, biopharmaceutical, industrial complex, big pharma, NIH, NIAID, collaborating together um, to create the research that ultimately led to the creation of COVID-19. Natalie, you're, you're going to be at the first hearing in, in the ninth month of this uh, controlling the House of the impeachment, first impeachment hearing. When are we going to get, actually, because they've got a subcommittee that's specializing in this, when are we going to get Fauci? When are we going to get some real movement on that subcommittee in a formal way, ma'am? Well, look, Steve, I have to say, I think it's curious that we saw this story drop just last night. Same goes for the story about the wire transfers going to Joe Biden's house from James Comer. Maybe it's just a coincidence, but as you know, the sort of strap line of Kevin McCarthy has been, we can't shut down the government because we need to continue these investigations, which, as you know, in this term, or in this world, I think they use the term investigation as just that. There's no accountability on the other side of the evidence that they uncover. So I really think they're trying to make a full court press right now from a messaging perspective that these investigations are important. I mean, what's better red meat for the base than a story about Anthony Fauci secretly going to the CIA uh, or wire transfers going to Joe Biden's house? Again, not to dispute the credibility of the stories. I'm just saying the timing is interesting. And as far as the impeachment hearing tomorrow, I don't know. I think this probably would have been a, a good hearing to have about six months ago. Um, it really is just providing an overview of what an impeachment inquiry would look like. Uh, they are going to have three witnesses and sort of just provide a, an overview of the evidence that they've uncovered. Um, I don't really see the potential for any, you know, real fire breathers uh, to come and say things that are really going to move the needle to get that accountability that we so desperately want. But I will I will be a fair and impartial juror. But at this point, I think uh, it's fair to say that a lot of this is just sort of falls into the category, much like the gas stove bill of uh, messaging and optics. Uh, <laughs> real quickly, what's your social media so people can follow you tomorrow while you're there? Natalie G. Winters on all platforms.
So we gotta just continue on. We're just so pressed for time and uh, the, the forward advance and march of time is so incredible. I look around and all my children, I look around and all my children and all my children's uh, friends are all growing up so fast. And so all, all my other friends around there, when I look and see all the different family members having kids everywhere, it's incredible how fast everyone is growing. It's hard to even just take a beat. It's hard to even take a beat and to have a second to reflect and on our, all of our lives. Everything is just moving and advancing so fast. And, it, and it's quite incredible. And I feel, I feel good about it in my particular worldview. I see that we're, we're, we're carefully and specially designed creations and that we're manifest with a, a body and a mind and a soul. And our conscience is kind of the center place of that connected metaphysical tissues that tie us all together into this singular mind. And I think we have a consciousness. We, have, we are partaking in the nature of the divinity by which we are created and this rising to this God consciousness level. And while we ourselves are just fragile and finite individual units of life that wear out and die like leaves that fall off a tree over time, ultimately that source of life and the foundation for the center place of this universe and the solar system and on the planet here where we're all again partaking in the life and like we said before we're partaking in the water of planet earth which is the only place that has water available like this that i that i know of i mean i know they're shooting the uh the web and the hubble telescopes and all the technology are out there like per, the lucifer telescope up on the mountain in arizona or whatever that the jesuits operate right there everyone is staring all throughout the cosmos to find how many uh, tens of thousands of light years we're going to have to travel to find some other planet like this. And it's just not there, guys. It's just really not there. Even if you find one over there, you know, maybe in, in, in you know, 10,000 years we'll be able to go over there, right? But we're, you know, we're here. And we should get up into the solar system, like it looks like Elon Musk is pushing for and others. NASA is just a pathetic disgrace. I think we should just redo that whole thing. It's just like Disney. It's just some kind of weird, you know, 33 33rd degree uh occult cia operation right <laughs> there to just continue on with the the fallacies of their supposed power to go into space and go to the moon and all that so i think we need to finally confront the true nature of america's capability and recognize that individuals like elon musk are getting us up into the the into these next level of human development right? And this is going to be, this is the way it's going to work. And even if you're a Bible believer like me, if you read into the New Testament and the Brit Hadashah, as they call it, if you read into the, the, the revelation, the apocalypse, right? The revelation of John, the revealing as the curtain goes up and John can see that revealing ultimately has to do with the process of humanity, uh, kind of dissolving the old way and the old system and going on to the new system. And it literally says in there, that there'll be the process of going on to see the development of new heavens and a new earth over time, right? Could take thousands of years. And then it literally talks about a millennial reign of God that ultimately comes into place the last a thousand years. And of course, a lot of pre-millennialists and preterists and pre, pre you know, these dispensationalists, all that are, are thinking that and, and prognosticating that we're living through the thousand years of of Christ right now, and many, many papists believe that the rule of Christ is being fulfilled by the 
the supposed vicar of Christ, that antichrist over there in, in the Vatican, right? So everyone has their, everyone has their point of view about how to approach revelation, right? And they say, Antiochus Epiphanes, somebody long ago fulfilled the role of the Antichrist, right? It's already been fulfilled. Or they say it's a future individual who hasn't been revealed yet. It's Nicolaus Carpathian from the Left Behind series. He hasn't been revealed yet, you know, so we don't know who the Antichrist is. But all throughout the, all throughout the New Testament and all the letters of Paul and the letters of the different apostles there, they knew exactly who the Antichrist was and they spoke openly about it. They spoke, look in Thessalonians, they spoke about multiple antichrists, that several antichrists had come, and there would be many more to come. And everyone knew that at that time, especially during the time that Jesus Christ was crucified, it was right after the period where the Republic of Rome had fallen into, you know, into a tyranny of Caesar, of Julius Caesar, who was murdered, and then Augustus Caesar, his adopted heir, and, and so on. And it would go down the line to the different Caesars, Tiberius Caesar, et cetera, et cetera. And so the, just the fall of the Republic into the hands of this absolute military dictatorship was what they were dealing with at the time, right? At the time that the, the apostles were being thrown in the lion's den. Whose lion's den? The lion's dens of Rome and the, the gladiatorial rings of Rome. That's where they were being cat thrown into. That's where they were being burned and fed alive and eaten alive by animals, right? And these were the games. These were Caesar's games. So this was the dictatorship of Caesar, of, of Panifix Maximus, right? That was the title that Julius Caesar accepted, the, the, the satanic title, uh, the, the Hierophant, the high priest of the religion of Babylon, of the ba Babylonian priest kings. That was a very satanic and violent, demonic, occult throne and power structure that was set on finding a new leader to advance the cause. And of course, they found that leader in Julius Caesar and who, who, in accepting that title, became the head leader and the head priest king over a vast occult esoteric religious system that goes back thousands of years. So ultimately, the scramble afterwards and the, the, the warfare that took place in the Republic and the collapse of the Republic, all that, and the title of Pontifex Maximus passing to an, uh, the heir, to the successor, Augustus Caesar, etc., takes on a new name, just like the Pope does, right? So there, there is the occult initiation, the high occult transformation that takes place with this new appointment of the designation of this throne and this the throne and altar, the the governorship and the high priest over the occult religion. So the the religious system and the governing of the of the. The nations come together into one man. And that's what the same was true for Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar, etc., etc., and Xerxes in Greek, etc., right? So this is what Alexander the Great was trying to accomplish, and this is what Julius Caesar accomplished, and this is what ultimately stands as the power, they call an unseen, undetected power structure. And this, so this is ultimately the externalization of that hierarchy, that secret hierarchy, as Alice Bailey was talking about in her book, the externalization of the hierarchy, quote unquote, that's the name of her book. So you can check that out and understand that ultimately the United Nations and the World Health Organization and the World Economic Forum and these new masters, right? These new aristocracy, this new nobility that's still 
rising up in power as the rest of the world, the national governments and the representative democracies and the popular elected republics around the world are slowly being demolished under the central bank system and through its technocracy and the tyranny of the big tech power structure that's developing AI, etc. And you can see that ultimately everyone is getting ready to kiss the ring of Elon Musk, which I refuse to do it. I mean, I've already been thrown off. They bring Alex Jones back on there and I've already been thrown off there. So to me, it doesn't look like it's going to ultimately be a free speech platform. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a WeChat. It's going to be an everything site that you have to, you know, I, I, if he had his way, we'd be voting on it and logging into work, you know, with our time clock in the morning and getting our paycheck through it. And right, you know, so to me, we know this kind of this getting the Trojan horse into the doorway doesn't seem like a good idea to me. As we're going forward here, I just got to keep saying how interesting and how phenomenal our latest elite journalist is here. And she is ultimately, you know, the future, representing the future of American conservative thought. And these are the American thought leaders. I mean, truly. And so as we're looking forward, you know, to the individuals we need to create in America, we, we need to make them, right? We need to look around to those individuals who are going to be our celebrities, who are going to be our leaders, who are going to be our journalists, who are going to be our Walter Cronkites, right? Our accepted verbatim of reality news readers, right? Who are going to come through with what, you know, what is the, the hardest hitting uh, with, with no, no special interests, interests being protected, the hardest hitting journalism. And so that's what we're relying on these, these individuals here for here in America. And of course, everyone in the world is looking to America to be the representative embodiment of free press and free journalism and the finding out of the truth and the exposure of that is something that we're going to go ahead and put forward and reward to the highest degree that we can. And we can see that only here in America are we in our principles and our documents and our founding you know, our founding axioms and the, the laws and policies that make America great, the greatest na- nation in world history. That is going to be the exceptional engine that produces such incredible female minds. Other places in the world, women are not allowed to take off the tarp, guys. Let's be real. We're in the America bubble. Other places in the world, if you take off the burqa, they're going to stone you to death on the spot. Other places in the world, if you have, if you get pregnant with a woman child, it's not a reason to celebrate and cheer like here in America, but it's a reason to go have an abortion and try again because we just need more boys. I mean, that's the kind of prevailing medieval stone age thinking. But of course, we here in America, we, we have some of the greatest thinkers and greatest engineers and minds because and the greatest production of elite female intellects and scholars who are not only brilliant, but courageous to the highest degree. And we're getting ready to, after we do uh, discuss here and talk about the work of Natalie Winters, the young, right? Natalie Winters, the young, because at such a young age, being so well-raised and well-persuaded and finding her own reasoning faculties, putting them to work, exercising her own leadership abilities and et cetera, et cetera. And you can see that the, what Americans, even in a broken system and in a broken political and academic system, what real, what the, the, the rocket ship for American genius can really bring about. And so this is evident in, uh, Natalie winners. And so 
after we get done talking about her, we have to go on to deal with Amy Kelly, who's the one of the brilliant minds that's over there working with Naomi Wolf. And we have other individuals we have to get to um, over there with Libby Emmons, with Post Millennial. And of course, we as an American people are a terribly, terribly abused people, right? We're, we're terribly lied to. We're terribly abused of our rights. We're terribly murdered in the Capitol. We're, we're, we're Roseanne Boyland and we're terribly beaten to death in the face 30 times when we're already down, laying unconscious with our pants falling down and some enormous black police officer, right? I guess she, she was a humongous police officer with dark melanin, dark, uh, dark complexion and with melanin content in her skin because she has high melanin. So no telling, you know, what, what, what of the, on the intersectional chart of lesbianism or what, what, who, who, who knows what, where she ranks. But she is there murdering Ashley Boyland and beating her in the face, and we have the tape. So it's time for that, that individual to be arrested. It's time for these police, these p despicable police officers up there in the capital city, Gestapo, intelligence, the fascist intelligence operation of, of Nancy Pelosi needs to be brought down. It's time to bring it down. So I don't know where uh, this Speaker of the House, uh, where his Speaker... Mike Johnson, it sounds like my plumber. Hey, hey, Mike Johnson, where did your your, your uh, gonads go? And, and what happened to the promises that, that you were that you were kind of brought into the speaker of the house the speaker of the house positions to fulfill? Like, what, what happened to you, Ben? But anyway, it's time to investigate why Ashley Babbitt was shot right in the neck. And, you know, maybe if you're a big tough, maybe go up and pistol whip her in the head because she's jumping through the window and take her down and put her in cuffs. I don't. But what happened? Why did they just shoot her? So, so the Fed Surrection murder of American patriots has got to be sussed out, guys. And that's, that's what we're looking for. That's what I'm looking at these America's elite journalists. When I'm looking at these individuals here in America, which apparently only here in America can you find women who are capable of producing such talent, intellectual ammunition for the info wars, and fighting this incredible fight. So having said all that, let's listen to some more of the fascinating discussion of Natalie Winters. So now it's time for a word from our sponsor. And as you know, our sponsor is courageously helping us to keep our show going here. So it's wendyslimited.com. wendyslimited.com. So wendyslimited.com. Wendyslimited.com has all the hottest new styles and couture trends and latest boutique women's apparel and shoes and heels and flats and all kinds of just wonderful stuff. You have hives and honey uh, jewelry on moi. It's been a favorite lately. And we have, of course, Windsor crystal uh, lamps. I have one, uh, one in stock in particular that has been a favorite. So wendyslimited.com is always open to help you get everything you need. Awesome Prada purse that we uh, 
saw that, that uh, Wendy's Limited just put up. So we have to think who out there wants to get incredible Prada, Fashion Couture. You know that um, from what I hear, they're a favorite of many, many ladies out there, many women all over the place. In fact, I think you cannot find a single family member or wife or sister or aunt or grandmother or loved one or girlfriend or what have you that uh, does not love Prada purses. So if you want to be totally awesome, you have to eventually come to grips with wendyslimited.com. Wendy's Boutique Limited has all the hottest new styles and latest women's apparel, everything you need to be totally awesome. If you're a woman or if you have a, a woman who's someone that you love, and of course we all love women because they're just so awesome. That's why Wendy'sLimited.com is so successful. So go check out Wendy's Boutique. Wendy'sLimited.com is the only place to go. And we have to recommend she's been totally 100% awesome to us and generous so we are always going to be buying our jewelry fine jewelry gold gold and silver jewelry and all of our best boutique couture and designer trends are we're going to go to wendyslimited.com so check out wendy's boutique limited Natalie Winters in here. She is the co-host and executive editor of uh, War Room. She has some thoughts about the infiltration of the American academic institutes by the Chinese Communist Party, and uh, Susan is completely preoccupied with the with the CCP. And I thought it'd be an interesting conversation for us to get into. Uh, also, a question of whether or not the DOJ is hiding vital information on human trafficking. I've been sort of confused why the human trafficking topic is anything other than something people would want to Twitter. And I will review with you uh, after the break some other concerns we have uh, about our YouTube channel uh, and where you're going to have to watch the next couple weeks of show after tomorrow. We'll see you right after this break. <laughs> As I said, we're bringing Natalie Winters in here. You can follow her, Natalie G. Winters. She's a writer and a journalist, and she has some ideas about the... Um, perhaps not so um, commonly discussed behaviors of the Chinese Communist Party, which, uh, Susan, this one's for you. I know. Yeah, so let's bring Natalie right on. Now how to make a woman happy. Well, you happy in particular. Natalie, thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So, Susan, my wife, has become, um, what's the, what would be a good way of describing your preoccupation with the Chinese Communist China Party? I, I actually studied Chinese history at UCLA, and I, it was very difficult to understand, and I got horrible grades doing it, but I took the advanced class, and just, it was brutal. But, you know, I couldn't get that A or B, let's just put it that way, but it is a very complicated world in China. I always wanted to learn about communism and Russia, and, and I wanted to learn about the foreign, you know, the Middle East, and... China because I it was just too confusing for me. I, I came from Newport Beach and I didn't know anything about anything when I went to college. So, but China really, I've been waiting for probably like maybe 30 years for something to really happen with China and I was worried for the last 30 years. So, um, I have, that's my background. That's why I'm so interested in it. So that's all I can say. 
fixated, Emily Barr says. I think that's a good... <laughs> fixated does not quite capture the emotion around her. She is fixated, but I would say... Uh, I have instincts. A that, bit exorcised. I have instincts. Gets, I'm not a conspiracy. It would be too far to say paranoid, but not, not yeah. that much farther off the mark. But so, Natalie, what, what are you observing? It's, it's, I, I've been hearing rumors of the infiltration of uh, academia. Uh, some of the behavior of academia has become uncanny. And, uh, you know, I, I always worry about looking for the witches casting the spell, so to speak. I'll explain that in just a minute. But uh, what, do you, what do you observe? What have you seen? Sure. Well, Susan sounds like my kind of gal. I'd say you're, you're a China hawk, as am I, but more precisely, a Chinese Communist Party hack. And I'm happy to talk and really dive into academia. But before we get into that, I think it's sort of important to contextualize what exactly influence and infiltration campaigns look like when they're emanating from Beijing, what exactly the Chinese Communist Party is doing. Because a lot of times, and frankly, this is why I got interested in this field to begin with, you know, politicians, media pundits love to throw around the idea that someone is compromised by China. But I really wanted to dig into what that actually looks like, how they actually achieve that, or is that just sort of a meaningless, you know, throwaway talking point that you hear way too often? Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, for the sake of the country, and I would argue the sake of the world, really, uh, it is very true. But it, it, it's true in granular detail. And what I mean by that, um, I want to drill down on something called the United Front Work Department. Uh, it's not a conspiracy theory. Our own government here has issued extensive reporting on it, um, filed various documents and reports on what it exists to do. And even in the Chinese Communist Party's own words, uh, it really is their political warfare department. Um, and, and again, to take one more step back, you know, when we perceive of warfare, I think most people think of kinetic warfare, right? Boots on the ground, ships, guns, tanks, ammo, bullets. But there are, at least in you know this day and age, there are a lot of different forms of warfare, psychological warfare, information warfare, media warfare, biological warfare. And in the case of the Chinese Communist Party, they're waging all of these forms of warfare concurrently, I would argue, but specifically on the kind of personnel front and how they really can subdue or subvert a country without even actually having to take it over, which one of the guiding axioms, it's one of the most often used quotes in the People's Liberations Army's military code is that the supreme art of war is to subdue the enemy without fighting. And what you see, I think, in effect here in the United States is really that. So to go back to what's called the United Front Work Department, this is sort of the key, really the, I would say, major axis of what all of these various foreign influence groups that have very nice, innocuous, friendly sounding names. These are the groups like the Confucius Institute, the Institutes, the China United States Exchange right. Foundations, the Chinese People's Association for Friendship and Foreign Contact. And while they might have nice sounding names and missions, in reality, they exist to identify and target elites, whether they're in academia, media, think tank world, politicians themselves, um, and compromise them through a variety of means. Most times it's through money, I would argue it's through blackmail. Um, but really what they want them to do and what we saw, I would argue, really to be the first stages of the Chinese Communist Party's efforts to infiltrate this country is really just to get the country, but more specifically our thought leaders, to buy into the narrative that China is not a competitor, but rather they're an ally. They're someone that we should trade with, uh, that we should have an, a free exchange of goods and students and professors and scientific research. And frankly, I think we need to look no further 
than the example of COVID-19 as to why that's not a good idea. And I don't just mean because of what happened at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, but a lot of the mainstream scientists that you saw people names like Peter Doshak, that's the leader of the group EcoHealth Alliance that was receiving money from Anthony Fauci to work on these bat coronaviruses. He was also one of the leading voices in the mainstream media saying that anyone who dared to say that COVID-19 originated from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, that the conspiracy theorists, what they were saying was absolutely crazy. And if you really run down his resume and see the kind of groups that he had been affiliated with, he had been doing studies, taking Chinese Communist Party cash, working with these united front groups. And I think that's sort of an example of what we call elite capture um, by these Americans, who certainly so, are American. So let me, let me. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. I've talked for a while. Let, let's pause. We'll give you that. No, no, it's good. I love it. Yes, it yes. Let's pause. Let's pause. She, on Peter. she packed it all in there. Peter Dayzak for a second. <laughs> uh, and, and that is, I, I we are going to talk to an attorney uh, that hinted that he has a series of FOIA documents that, I don't want to use a stronger word as prove, but maybe it suggests that Dezak may not in fact be compromised by the Chinese Communist Party so much as a the head of a counter-espionage operation through EcoHealth Alliance designed to keep an eye on what the Chinese are doing. What do you think of that theory? Well, I would say that Peter Dalshak has been really the leading defender of the Chinese Communist Party in the mainstream press. People may be familiar with the Lancet COVID-19 Commission, and of course, they put out a statement in the early days that really was used by all the mainstream media outlets that they cited as saying, because all these eminent doctors and scholars said that COVID-19 developed naturally, anyone else who says otherwise is lying. Um, and Peter Dalshak really has continued uh, to peddle that line, even despite being forced to recuse himself later from the Lancet COVID Commission because he never disclosed his ties to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Um, I mean, that is a, is a theory, in, in my opinion. I really don't think it's 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 valid. Um, I would also say on that... What's, what's interesting, really, let me, uh, yeah, let, sure, let me sure. just hold you for a second. Right? He, he would behave this way... <laughs> you know, what's weird about this guy is he would behave this way if he were compromised... And he would behave this way if he were a counter-espionage operator. Both both states would explain the bizarre behavior. But in either case, I will I will completely co-sign the what you're saying in the sense that when is our government going to stop lying to us and under what conditions? That that is one of the most disturbing aspects of the last few years, and I'm still struggling with that. In in either case. They're obfuscating information. Would that that would be accurate, correct? Yeah, and I think it's sort of a, a fog of war, maybe in this case, you know, fog of biological war uh, scenario, right? We don't know what exactly his, his true motives are, but I think either way it's bad because you either have someone who is compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, who throughout COVID has continued to push for international collaboration on the world's most dangerous pathogens with the Chinese Communist Party, including doing work with labs that are run by China's military and work very, very intimately with them, or even worse, and frankly, why there is maybe some credence to what uh, your, your lawyer friend is saying, um, is because the United States government has endorsed a scientific collaboration with Chinese Communist Party from the get-go. It was all the way back in the right. early 2000s that Anthony Fauci and his deputy director actually signed memorandums of understanding to begin 
really the process that would lead to basically U.S. taxpayer dollars going to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. But it goes back, frankly, to what I was saying in the beginning, which is if American people and, frankly, our, our thought leaders perceive of the Chinese Communist Party as an ally, right, as another global power on the world stage, as opposed to a, a country, a regime that wants to systematically destroy and replace the United States as the global hegemon, well, that leaves you with two very different interpretations of whether or not we should be collaborating with them scientifically. Right. Well, I, and to be, again, I push back a little bit. I mean, at one time, I don't think it was so clear that we were in trouble with them. And I could see how they could have gone down the path, particularly on the medical and biological side. There was a lot of sharing of stuff going on uh, in medical research at one point. And uh, all of a sudden, there's been a giant uh-oh, certainly since COVID. Uh, I spoke to Li Ming Wan a couple of times. Are you familiar with her? The, the uh, doc, yeah. And she, um, she has repeatedly uh, alerted us to what was going on and what she was doing and what happened when she started asking questions. Do, do people not fully appreciate, you know, I don't want to get too dramatic or too hysterical right off the top, but, but this is a government that has killed millions of people. Uh, and has no problem making people disappear. And I don't think this country understands, although we've certainly been going through a wave here where we understand how damaging our own government can be to our own lives, you know, our, our careers, our ability to, you know, withstand assaults from social media. They, they, they really seem to be all in on hurting Americans if they're not completely capitulated to the government policy. That is the beginning of uh, what happened in China. Talk about that a little bit, if you don't mind. Sure. Well, there's a wonderful, well, scary, but wonderful clip from, I believe it's about two years ago, and it's Charlie Munger, who's obviously a close friend of Warren Buffett, big Wall Street guy, huge mega donor, actually to the Republican Party, but he's giving an interview, I believe it's with CNN, and they're talking about how the Chinese Communist Party handled Jack Ma, people may be familiar, he's the founder CEO of uh, Alibaba, though he is a member of the Chinese Communist Party, I would say he's sort of like an Elon Musk-esque figure in that he does have some autonomy from the Chinese Communist Party. He's sort of been, I think, a, a thorn in their side. He represent a little bit more, you know, a drive for, for free markets and, and capitalism that the Chinese Communist Party and their, you know, socialism with Chinese characteristics doesn't totally uh, vibe with. Uh, but Charlie Munger in this interview, again, sort of, I would argue, representing the American elite, when he's asked about how the Chinese Communist Party handled Jack Ma, whom they basically disappeared before he reemerged a couple months later, but stripped him of his company, stripped him of a, of a lot of his, his earnings and businesses, he says, oh, the Chinese Communist Party handled him exactly right. What they did, we should be doing here in the United States. And that's not a paraphrase. That's virtually a, a direct quote. It was one of the most jarring moments of television I'd seen in a very long time. But I think that this sort of gets to what is, frankly, the more damning and really, I think, scarier aspect of the Chinese Communist Party influence and infiltration angle. And what I mean by that um, is that I don't think that the Chinese Communist Party is, is no longer content or rather just content with influencing how Americans perceive of China, right? That's sort of the Confucius Institute uh, attack, right? The, the soft propaganda in terms of reforming how Americans view China and view the Chinese Communist Party, which as you were alluding to, has been very successful. But I think what we're really seeing here going on in the country right now is not just elite compromise, 
but really this concept of elite merger. And what I mean by that is that is we can, you know, we can sit here and ridicule and castigate the Chinese Communist Party for how they treat their own people. But and there's of course varying degrees of it, but I think that we're starting to see some of those tactics, the politically motivated indictments and impeachments and targeting of political prisoners and censorship, whether it's from big tech platforms or the collusion with the federal government to do that. I think there's really some some hallmarks of the Chinese Communist Party's totalitarian ruling system. I think COVID exacerbated it, uh, but I think there is a level of ideological compromise too going on here with our Western elites, where frankly, I think they look at the Chinese Communist Party, the power, the authority, the control that they have, and they envy it. I mean, just look how they acted during COVID. Uh, it didn't really seem that, you know, freedom, liberty, and not sacrificing those in the name of public safety and, and danger, as Benjamin Franklin sort of said in a, you know, a little more direct, but probably more concise way, uh, was really the guiding principle of, of our ruling class here. They were more concerned, I would argue, with stripping us of our, our rights and powers that are vested with us through the Constitution. It's so important to have a sponsor like Wendy'sLimited.com. Because Wendy's Boutique is just representative of everything that's great about it. It's really, it's really wonderful having a, uh, a sponsor like Wendy'sLimited.com. And Wendy'sLimited.com, Wendy's Boutique, is representative of everything that's really great about America. And, of course, they, the team over there put that together at a time of kind of unbridled enthusiasm building up during the Trump presidency and just unleashed all this potential for entrepreneurialism and for startup businesses. And I think they were as disappointed as anyone else that the election was stolen and that things have taken such an incredible nosedive. And that lurching political flat spin is something that I think we all can detect. We can all pick up on and now everyone in America is trying to work through all the psyops and social media, corporate media propaganda to kind of comprehend what is going on. What is the, the nature of all the turbulence that is so catastrophic for America, you know? I think ultimately that's what, uh, that's what this year, this political fight is going to be all about. And I think Wendy's Boutique represents... The dynamism and the engine of American small business and capitalism. And I think they have persisted and resisted the downward pressure in today's market and, and just insisting that women be women, that, that women have a certain chromosomal signature that men don't have, etc. And, and, and that the idea that men might go into women's boxing rings and punch the hell out of out of women boxing champions you know and to compete like it, it, just this idea that we're descending into this kind of social this demented social degeneracy is just it's god awful and you know i think that from what i understand that very shortly wendy's boutique limited is going to cancel victoria's secret isn't that crazy and victoria's secret has just gone too far they can no longer hold their products and there's many other good producers of female you know beautiful sexy female kind of garments that well i guess only we here in america really or in the west appreciate it represents the strength of our family unities 
and our attitude toward empowering, not just some kind of rhetorical, pseudo-political demagoguery like the left does, where we're sincerely interested in empowering, taking the shackles and the burqas off of our women so that they can be lifted up as high as possible to reach to the highest possible heights of human potential and intellectual and academic achievement. And also to have the total latitude and emotional, spiritual freedom to choose the most beautiful designs for their evening attire, for their, their, their apparel when they go out, and their jewelry, and their various accessories. And to not, and to not be browbeaten by Marxists and plagiarists, right? Pseudo-intellectual plagiarists and Marxists and racists up at Harvard. We're going to browbeat us all about how it should be, how should, how gender should be, right? In their world, a boutique that, that shows beautiful women show, selling beautiful items to be- other beautiful women just wouldn't be allowed to exist. Wadieslimited.com is an aberration that the Marxist, communist, globalist mind cannot tolerate. And of course, they're going to go ahead and go forward to to just get rid of Victoria's Secret, which is, I guess it's Victor's. I guess it's Victor's secret now, right? So all that needs to be said about that. But we can't go on enough about our sponsor. I hope that you guys will support. Go on there and sign up and be part of the growth and the development of... And it's a small team over there. So they these guys are building something over time for the future and for hopefully for their kids. And I hear tell of the reaching out and the exciting planning of brick and mortar locations. So I think as we go forward, guys, it would be great if you just go ahead and punch that button, get over there and check wendyslimited.com, send her a message. She, you'll reach her, right? She doesn't have an AI bot or a, uh, a huge human resource team of people answer the phone for her. She's going to be, she's going to be right there and she's going to, try to get you everything that's the best and a lot of times a lot of the products that she is getting and dealing and and hope and uh, procuring for people and basically making sure that they're the absolutely sterling best not rip off junk from the CCP right which is all it's all part and parcel of the same big kind of Gordian knot so I think it's incumbent upon us to, and many times the absolutely opulent treasures that, that Wendy's Limited, the, the various items of jewelry and fashion couture, are oftentimes that things that Wendy herself isn't going to afford right now. You know what I mean? It's because she's in a growing business that's been just absolutely hit hard by the Biden tyranny and the collapsing pedo empire of the deep state pigs, right, has been pretty brutal for, I'm sure, all business out there. But she is enjoying your support, and I hope that you will continue to go on there and check wendyslimited.com. So, now as we proceed, it's clear that Natalie Winters represents the next generation, a new iteration, and um, the future of it too, right? And you can see that the left isn't able to effectively produce 
any kind of new generation. And it's safe to say that Natalie Winters represents a whole generation of thinkers and young academics that have to muscle their way you know, through the corridors of university campuses, dealing with this constant flack, the constant and staggering intellectual constraints of the demoralizing atmosphere, dealing with a bunch of psychologically damaged, emotionally damaged people, these, these Marxists are utterly deranged and just in the kind of world they're trying to, you know, bring about is a world that their children won't live in because they're incapable of reproducing, right? So these are all people that are going to, you know, be a whole generation of women who grew beards in order to, right? I, I don't know what kind of CIA chemical you spray on people that makes them just go completely nuts like that and just turn over all, they're so demoralized, right? They turn over all vestiges of humanity and become these kind of hyper-political, self-detonating weapons within the body politic of America, which ultimately are dangerously close to capsizing our entire national project. And so these, this is the, the Yuri Bezmenov demoralization, systematic process of social demoralization that he discussed, that, you know, the communists had kind of perfected. And of course, these aren't communists from Moscow. They, they were sent to Moscow. They were from they were from New York and from Brooklyn, and from financed by Wall Street. And they were sent to Moscow to make sure that the the czar never got his gold out of the banks of London ever again, right? And to ensure that that entire nation could be captivated and seized. Um, and so the Harriman, you know, the, the Yale, the Yaleys, the Skull and Bones, and of course they won't. They don't want to take it to the the knighthood orders that follow because that's the little boys the skull and bones is the little boys entry club where they're playing with wooden swords but then after that they become papal knights and they have the real thing so that's where that's where they uh they'll never take you home to rome guys they'll never make it clear who the kingpin and the centerpiece of the power structure really is and it's definitely a white power structure let's just let's just get that clear and these old line families the black nobility families of italy and the long-standing papal nobility, those, those lineages and those peerages are not interested in suddenly switching shades of racial, uh, racial features. It's not going to do it. Just like, you, you know, that's why you saw Prince Harry get drummed out. And like, I thought that girl was a white girl, you know? She wasn't even a black girl. But I guess apparently she had a little bit, she was a brunette. And if you're a brunette, then that makes you black or something, right? I mean, these people are crazy with that thing. They don't care. They don't mess around. So they're trying to put all racism on us over here in America. And the racism isn't on us over here. We're all intermixed and we're all situated together real nicely. But, you know, the racial contest and the racial uh, conflagration, that really affects Americans because we are all, we are multicultural already. So who are these Marxists who browbeat to us about multiculturalism, right? Why don't you, uh, why don't you guys enjoy your multiculturalism over there in Europe right now? with what the World Economic Forum did, right? Bringing all those people in from all over the place. You enjoy that. You multiculture that, okay? But our culture over here in America is just fine. I think that those those royal, those royal families, those, those high-powered, elite, globalist, noble bloodline families that uh, serve the Pope all the time, right? Who the deep state serve, and they're in Washington, D.C.? The deep state. The deep state traders. Who are they trading to? 
Who, who does their treachery serve? These treasonists. Who are their real masters? If they've committed treason against us, the real masters are, are them. The, the noble power structure, the noble bloodline papists. So how's that for Christendom? So I want my separation of church and state, you freaking morons. I want my Roman imperial state of astrotheology or whatever it is they do. I want it over there and I want my state separated. I don't want my church, the World Council of Churches, and I don't want my Vatican Jesuit, you know, cutthroats. I don't want them seeping into my state by law. That would, that would be a, like a, a Concord ad. That's what the CCP has right now. It has a Concord ad. A private little agreement with the Vatican. I mean, if you look it up, go do go do Vatican Concordat search and just see how the, Hitler had a Concordat with the Vatican and so did Mussolini. And I, I don't want that. Do you want that for America? I don't want that. I think any Concordat we have with the, with the Vatican should be broken. I think we can kick the United Nations right on out. I think we can take care of our own health in America. We can have the American Health Organization. We don't need the World Health Organization. They can just get on out. We don't need the tendrils of this serfdom and this debt slavery and this usury, the system of absolute ubiquitous usury, bringing our kids down. I don't think we need it. I think we could just kick that right on out. And it's gonna, we're gonna take, we should just take our independence by force. That's, we should just declare our independence 2.0, guys. It's pretty simple. Overthinking this a little bit. No more kings and popes. No more Knights of Malta moneylenders. No more central bank, federal reserve, cryptocurrency all that's got to go guys we got to get it together this is it this is the this is the the final countdown this is the final analysis we have if we don't get this right we're done and what will you go in and tell your children well they already are never going to own a home i mean steve banning he loves breaking doing the math on the back of the envelope right and showing everybody how we're all just nothing but russian serfs quote unquote i got my fingers doing little quote signs so Let's figure it out, guys. Let's let's check with Natalie Winters here. She's only 22, they like to brag. And it's quite a brag because she's more profound of a journalist than all these other collagen-pumped 50-year-old leg crossers trying to still stay relevant, right? She's just going to state what it is. And a lot of people are going to get offended by the simple, deliberate, calibrated truth. It's not that hard, guys. The information is not dis. It's not miss. It's just... The information and it's the information that you, you you guys are not wanting to be exposed I and mean, i think that we should they should sue the hell the living hell out of these individuals up there in the capitol i think they should the, the fact that so many people were injured that day by the police and you can see the footage coming out so many people were killed that day and beaten half to death it's time for it's time for us to work out who is behind the january 6th fed surrection because it sure as hell wasn't donald trump Right? The Americans making America great? They're not. They're not the problem, guys. Let's just get real. And now they're bringing all these people in here. The problem, the problems that we're going to have here shortly in the next few months are going to be just like the individual who went up and started wielding the, the machete <laughs> up at the Capitol at the Washington, D.C. Just started trying to run around with a brick and trying to chop people with a machete. That's what, that's what you're going to see of more by a power of 10. And they did that on purpose. They're trying to bring us all into this shocking abysmal flames of final imperial decline right final end of america that's going to be their their solution their bolshevik solution for us and so these are the new jacobins and the new bolsheviks and they're worse and they're pedophiles they're, they're sick right they're, you always have to have the sick and perverted fabian socialist club that do the uh the odd fellows 
pedophile group in the background and no one knows, right? No one knows that they're souring generations of children that are just from nobody, just for, just orphanage babies. So it, it gets pretty dark, guys. Like it, it, when we go into the to uh, the full exposure and the full measure of what we have to, to do now that we're all on the same Alex Jones page, now we can all see what the Bilderberg was, the Bilderberg group was, and what the Trilateral Commission, et cetera, et cetera, and the World Economic Forum. The World Economic Forum still has that polish, that the polish the UN still has of seeming governing legitimacy, of seeming real governing body. They have an office in Brussels, don't you know, right? So apparently Natalie Winters, as we get back to on point here, has got a quite an extensive record of, of interviews and discussions that are available. So she is going to be on the forefront of the struggle in America here to get at the truth. And I think she's well-deserved to, like I said, we're not, it's not a contest. We're not, we're not marking winners and losers or, but we're just trying to chart out who is making a difference and how proud America can be. Because all the things the naysayers keep saying about America, it's not true, guys. The evidence is right in front of your eyes. America produces the greatest minds, the greatest and most courageous thinkers that the world has ever seen. Natalie, thank you so much for joining us. For those who may not know, can you tell us who you are and what you do? Sure. I am an investigative reporter for the National Pulse. I focus primarily on how the Chinese Communist Party infiltrates really all of America, whether that's academia, the mainstream media, uh, the White House, as we're currently seeing right now. But covering that beat uh, kind of allows me, I would say, the, the privilege uh, to cover a lot of very relevant areas that have to do with foreign governments trying to compromise American leaders, American thought leaders, which, as I said, we're seeing on full display right now. Yes, and it allows you to cover a lot of different things also because the CCP has their tentacles in so many areas of our culture and so many areas of the government, as you mentioned. So speaking of the CCP, I want to talk about this Hunter Biden story, the Hunter Biden laptop. Now, we really haven't talked about it in depth on this show. People might remember the New York Post reported on Hunter Biden's laptop and some compromising information and things that were found on there right before the election in 2020. The New York Post account got suspended. We were told over and over again, this story is just Russian disinformation. It's not something we should worry about. Why is Hunter Biden's laptop though in the story again? And why does it seem like the same people who said that was a stupid, irrelevant story back in 2020, why are they saying that it might actually matter now? Sure. Well, the whole Hunter Biden hard drive story is not only a perfect example of really big tech collusion on behalf of Democrats and also mainstream media cover-ups on behalf of, frankly, the Biden family, but it's also, I think, a perfect example of the kind of corruption that we see, or sometimes we don't see, going on every single day in America at the hands of our, our ruling elites, epitomized by the likes of Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, and it goes to the other side of the aisle, too, more of these establishment Republicans. But to kind of go back to square one on this story, because I think that framing is, is really important to understand why this, this news story has reemerged in the current cycle and why mainstream media outlets are sort of paying attention to it, though I would, would argue that the way that they're framing the story has less to do with Joe Biden, who is, of course, a key player in this whole scandal, and more to do with putting all of the blame on Hunter. So 
all the way back in 2011, there's an op-ed that I always love to bring up when I'm talking about the Hunter Biden hard drive that Joe Biden wrote. And it was titled, China's Rise is an Our Demise. And I know that this op-ed made headlines again during the 2020 campaign because it was a perfect example of how Joe Biden has even made a lot of incorrect calls on foreign policy, but particularly in the realm of China. But my take on that op-ed wasn't that he was necessarily wrong. It was just that the hour that he was referring to, O-U-R, uh, wasn't the average everyday American. It was American elites like Joe Biden, like Hunter Biden, like his family. I think that's probably a story that your viewers know all too well, that there's this you know, certain segment of the American population. They tend to be Democrats, of course, some establishment Republicans too, uh, but who always seem to get lucrative you know, contracts and, and nice business deals, but it always seems to be the Chinese Communist Party. So when this hard drive got leaked, uh, it was actually originally given to the FBI from a laptop repair shop owner, um, but it made its way into the hands of Rudy Giuliani, who then proceeded to disseminate it uh, to, to certain people who were going through the hard drive, people who had knowledge and expertise of Chinese Communist Party infiltration the way it works. So the National Pulse, which is the outlet that I work at, we were lucky enough to get our hands on a copy of it. So from there, we started digging in really to emails, text messages, pictures, videos, and I'm sure a lot of the headlines that people have seen have to do with some of the, for lack of a better word, you know, degenerate activities going on. You've seen the pictures and videos, um, but as someone who covers, like I said, this foreign collusion, foreign corruption, um, and not the Russian collusion kind that we like to hear about so much from, from the Democrats, um, but really Chinese Communist Party collusion, um, there was just copious amounts of evidence of business deals, of wire transactions on there. So what this hard drive, I think, corroborates best is that Hunter Biden, while his father was vice president, um, even before and even after, was really running around the globe to every corner of the earth, inking deals with some of the most corrupt business leaders, corrupt country leaders, um, really in every sector, all the way from technology and science and pharmaceutical, uh, all the way to energy, power grids, um, all of these areas he had no expertise in, of course. But I think it's also important to understand that a lot of these business deals that we're talking about now, whether it's you know BHR Partners, um, some of these other LLC names that you may have heard of, you know, it's not just the hard drive that that brought these shady business dealings to the forefront. A lot of this was publicly available, albeit a lot of these web pages have been deleted. Um, but Hunter Biden's track record for working with the Chinese Communist Party was out in the open. The mainstream media just didn't really bother to cover it. But this hard drive, I think, was was really the smoking gun because it allowed you to see who his inner circle was and the fact that these wire transfers in very, very large sums worth, you know, a heck of a lot more than the average annual salary of an American. Um, we're being wired to, to Hunter Biden's account during the time his father was vice president and other family members, too. So that's kind of the broad overview. But I'd be happy to get into some specifics if you have any questions. That was an amazing broad overview. And so <laughs> I really appreciate that a lot. I'm thinking back to when this story first came out and the New York Post was talking about it. And we were constantly told, as I already mentioned, from the mainstream media, from Biden's campaign, of course, that this is simply uh, Russian disinformation, or this is something that we really shouldn't be talking about. It's not relevant. Actually, a writer at The Atlantic, I think her name is Ann Applebaum, she was just asked by a University of Chicago student, a writer there, um, why 
she didn't think that story was relevant because I think she talked about at the time in 2020 that this wasn't something that she wanted to cover, that it was a form of disinformation. She answered just the other day that the story just isn't interesting to her. It's not interesting to her. Is there, was there, you think, conscious collusion by big tech and by these news outlets that refused to cover it and just kind of silenced and suppressed the story to help Joe Biden to cover up the workings with the CCP? Or do you think it's just your kind of, I don't know, run-of-the-mill sloppy work by these organizations not wanting to cover a story that might paint their candidate in a negative light? Like, how nefarious was the cover-up, do you think? I honestly think that that this was so nefarious to levels that I really think were hard to, hard to be matched yeah. in recent political history because I think you really had and access not just to big tech, but also their counterparts in various establishment institutions, whether that be elected officials. But also, I think there was a letter from about 50 former intelligence officials declaring and really decrying this Hunter Biden hard drive as, quote, Russian disinformation. These are people who used to run the CIA, used to run all of these, you know, top premier intelligence agencies in the United States. And, you know, I think there, there's one way to say, oh, maybe they just, you know, were ignorant. Uh, they didn't they didn't know. Although I will say that people who had copies of the hard drive, uh, my outlet included, there was always an open invitation to anyone from the mainstream media right. who was saying that the hard drive wasn't real. So unless these people live under a rock and don't really think that that is a, a plausible defense. But I think that you know, to understand why there was such, such a just massive effort on behalf of, you know, the people like Ann Applebaum, people who kind of come from this establishment world. Um, might I add, it was, it was, I'm a University of Chicago student as well. Oh, you are. Event. Okay. I didn't realize yes. that. Yeah. Yes. So I was like, gra- very glad to see my, uh, my peers yes. holding Ann Applebaum to account. But that whole event was about disinformation. Uh, Their keynote speaker was Barack Obama. So that tells you a little bit about what that whole event was about. (laughs) But um, I think think the the kind of bigger story here, and this again dovetails with what I cover more broadly, but it is how calculated and orchestrated of an effort the Chinese Communist Party really has weaponized at the hands of their regime and even their, their military. They engage in political warfare Uh, to really compromise every aspect of American society. And I think they viewed Hunter Biden as an Achilles heel, right? He was the offspring of a very powerful and prominent elected official who had a lot of vices, to say the least. Um, But that whole entire operation, um, it kind of works in tandem with the Chinese Communist Party, knowing that when push comes to shove, the mainstream media and these big tech companies will ultimately cover for them. And we've done a lot of reporting at the National Pulse about uh, virtually every single mainstream media outlet, all the way from CNN, New York Times, Washington Post, names that I'm sure no one is surprised to hear, for decades had actually been taking trips to China, sponsored by a Chinese Communist Party influence group that was also linked to one of these groups that Hunter Biden was working with. And we so we saw the documents that kind of outlined what exactly they were stipulated to provide in exchange for these trips. And upon returning to the United States, a lot of these journalists um, had to provide, quote, favorable coverage. These are documents that are wow. housed in the Department of Justice. So not Russian disinformation. So I think that the Hunter Biden hard drive story really is a perfect example of the ecosystem that China has created in the United States and what they're able to get away with as a result of it. So why are they, though, covering this now? Why is the Washington Post and the New York Times and Politico 
Now, they might not be fully covering it the way that we would want them to, as thoroughly and as honestly as we would want them to, but they are covering it. They are kind of admitting, oh, this is a little problematic. Why not just brush this under the rug if they are concerned about painting Joe Biden and his son in a bad light? Well, I think that anybody who's been watching the White House closely, even though it may be very painful to do that, um, knows that there, there's a bit of a shade war, I would call it, going on between mm -hmm. Kamala and Joe Biden. And we had called this back, I think, even, even before uh, the 2020 election, uh, right when the hard drive stories were really hitting their peak in terms of, I would say, kind of the, the right-wing echo chamber, as much as these stories could break through, despite the bans and, and censorship and shadow banning. Um, but that the contents of these hard drive, the, the hard drive would ultimately be used to either impeach Joe Biden or to bring about uh, the invoking of the 25th Amendment. So in my opinion, um, I, I think that the mainstream media, um, along with their kind of, you know, think tank, D.C. arm, uh, the people who create their talking points, um, have, have decided that it's time for Joe Biden to go. Um, and I think that they know the most politically expedient way. And frankly, you don't really even have to fabricate that much evidence, right? The, the dealings on the hard drive are pretty damning uh, to Joe Biden's political credibility, legitimacy, and authority. Um, so, so I think that they are using this hard drive now kind of as a leverage point, really as a cudgel against Joe Biden to bring about as scary as it sounds, um, a President Kamala Harris, because nothing, you know, at least domestically, obviously Ukraine has happened, the failure that is Afghanistan happened, but there's no real, I would say, change domestically that has precipitated such, such a massive shift for the mainstream media to now be covering Hunter Biden, right? It's not like Hunter Biden did anything else that really put himself in the news cycle. It sort of seemed to be like an organic uh, development, and then suddenly all these, you know, three-letter networks were covering the story in lockstep. So whenever you see the mainstream media, and likely their fact-checkers working in concert, um, to me, that's always a red flag that there's some, you know, either major narrative shift happening or a potential political tide turn uh, that they're waiting to bring about, but they just have to kind of lay the groundwork. Right, because if it were just completely innocuous motivations. If it was just because they wanted to be honest, they would have reported on this a long time ago. So I think you're right. There's always a reason to question the timing of this kind of thing. Now, they're not reporting on it close enough to the midterms to where it would make a difference in that way. And I think that's probably also strategic. I don't know if this is a CYA move or I'm sure it does have a lot to do with exactly what you're what you're talking about, but I do think people should be thinking critically about that sort of thing. And also, uh, it makes me look at the election. I mean, there's uh, been a lot of questions surrounding the media and big tech's role in the results of the election, but there's been a lot that's happened over the past year that has made me question once again just how much integrity the election process had we're not even talking about not even talking about fraud and things like that just talking about the collusion between the chinese communist party between the uh the people in the highest the highest rungs of power in the united states and the mainstream media and major corporations big tech all working together to prevent it seems like and time magazine actually wrote about this at the time to prevent um, Donald Trump from becoming president. For people who are looking at this, they're listening to this story and they're like, wow, I cannot believe 
that the media stopped this, that social media stopped this from coming out right before the election because they were afraid it was going to change the course of the election. People who are worried that that is just going to happen again, that's, go that's going to keep happening. We can't trust the integrity of our elections just for that reason. I mean, what, what's, your, what's your message? What's your thought behind that? Do you share that concern? Do you have any optimism that now the media is reporting honestly that we can have reason to believe they'll operate with more integrity in the future? What are your thoughts? Well, I think it's really interesting as someone who followed the 2016 election and the fallout very closely in terms of how various media outlets really spearheaded the you know Russia collusion narrative, which, of course, uh, the kind of key players in that were, of course, media outlets. And then you also had big tech, right? This story that a bunch of Russian bots got a bunch of Americans to vote for Donald Trump. Right. And of course, there was also a lot of reporting, even congressional reports, all the way up to Nancy Pelosi being the lead author on some of these, talking about the vulnerabilities that Americans' election systems had, um, specifically voting machines, um, and even kind of the loopholes and just ability for fraud to occur when it came to mail-in voting. Um, and I think one way to look at all of that reporting was, you know, wow, these crazy Democrats, they're just creating all these conspiracy theories. They're not real. Um, but I think, frankly, that they sort of used all of these accusations as a playbook for what they were going to do in the 2020 election. I think you see that um, with the, the way that big tech colluded on behalf of this Hunter Biden story. I think you see it even more broadly, right, with banning Trump, um, banning, you know, people who support Trump for, for basically no reason at all. So I think it's really interesting that, you know, they kind of adopted this playbook that they accused Republicans of. It seems 24 seven, 365 days a year. But of course, I think that's the best strategy, right? Accuse your enemies of what you're guilty of so that you don't look as guilty yourself. But I think that to some extent, um, the Democrats, by, by doing all that, sort of overplayed their hand. Um, and frankly, I think they did all this, right? They exerted all this political capital, all of their influence and leverage with Silicon Valley, the mainstream media networks. And of course, naturally, there is there is an affinity there. Um, but I think once they actually got power, right, we're seeing the country go to shambles, whether it's inflation, whether it's gas prices, whether it's at home, abroad, Afghanistan, China, the South China Sea, and of course, Ukraine. So I think that, you know, during the 2020 campaign, it, it always seemed to be the critique that Democrats didn't really have anything to run on. They were just running on hating Trump. right it's now time for a word from our awesome sponsor wendy's boutique limited wendy's limited.com and uh, wendy's limited.com is offering the hottest new designer trends and brand name couture fashion styles so you have to hear about wendy's boutique wendy's limited.com wendy's limited.com now has designer women's apparel and fine jewelry sexy boutique fashions very best prices online and you know that at wendyslimited.com, uh, they know what a woman is, uh, what a woman really is, right? So if you're a beautiful woman or if you know a beautiful woman, and if you don't, stop listening to this show, okay? Right now, just stop. But if you happen to know a beautiful woman and you are a beautiful woman, you have to know about wendyslimited.com. 
So these are the, the sexiest boutique fashions anywhere. Very best prices online. Beautiful luxury products. Guaranteed authentic. Guaranteed. No Chinese knockoffs ever. So this is the real deal. This is the real, real. The legit. Best prices. Hottest couture gear. Fragrances. We had Tom Ford shades. Great deal on the Tom Ford shades. Everybody loves Tom Ford shades. So you can expect to find Gucci apparel, Hermes shoes, Prada jewelry, all at wendyslimited.com. And you got to remember, wendyslimited.com is really now famous for canceling Balenciaga when it mattered, right? So we're not having any of that over here. This is a woman-owned enterprise, all-American, family-run organization, wendyslimited.com, wendyslimited.com. you got to come join the craze. Hottest new designer trends, guys. Wendy's Boutique Limited, we need your support. And uh, she's been courageous to support the show, wendyslimited.com. about what the Biden regime wants to do, really turn our military into not the strategic, wonderful fighting force that it should be, but something more focused on DEI and CRT and all those wonderful words that no one really knows what they actually mean. You know, we say a lot here on the war that the supreme art of war is to subdue the enemy without fighting, of course, quoting Sun Tzu, that's one of the leading axioms that the Chinese military, the People's Liberation Army follows. It's really crazy when their strategies play out so clearly in front of our eyes, and yet Washington, so crippled, of course, by Chinese Communist Party compromise, frankly, it's all by design, really can actually fight back against the Chinese Communist Party's forms of unconventional and unrestricted warfare. That's something this show has been calling attention to really since its inception, really since the war room impeachment days. So joining me, there's a rare anomaly in Washington, someone who actually wants to fight back against what the Chinese Communist Party is doing. That's, of course, none other than Congressman Wesley Hunt from Texas, a good friend of the show, uh, who really has been fighting to push back against what the Chinese Communist Party has been wanting to do with our farmland. So, Congressman, if we have you, which I think we do, uh, if you could tell the audience about what you've been doing to push back, particularly against the CCP's incursion uh, into American farmland. The Chinese have been plotting to take down the United States for decades, and this is just one layer of that plot. They have increased the purchase of farmland, particularly around our military bases, 1,000 percent in the last decade. Now, that should be absolutely terrifying to any American that's paying attention. The CCP has been spying on us for at least the last 40 years, and we know this because they are flying spy balloons over our country with impunity. They are spying on our children through TikTok. A couple of years ago, when President Trump was president, in my hometown of Houston, Texas, President Trump shut down the Chinese consulate because they were stealing our intellectual property. So here's what I say. Would the Chinese Communist Party allow Americans to enter their country and buy their farmland around their military bases? And I would say to that, absolutely not. So why would we allow them to do that to us? It is time for us to get serious about securing our border, securing our nation, securing our farmland, because again, Food security is national security, which turns into international security. And we can no longer usurp our power to the Chinese Communist Party. 
seems like one of these common sense issues. I'd also argue that establishing a select committee uh, on Chinese Communist Party infiltration would also be an issue that would enjoy really universal bipartisan support. But of course, dozens, I think over five dozen Democrats voted against establishing that committee. I'd argue those should be the first people we should be investigating. But I'll digress on that point. But I'm just I'm just curious if you could sort of drill down because there's a lot of talk about food security being national security and how I think that sort of issue has become an interesting, I would argue, theater of war that both the Chinese Communist Party, but also some of their globalist counterparts in the World Economic Forum, people who sort of want to push that that area of really food and farming to, to push a certain social agenda. So when it comes specifically to the CCP and their intentions behind buying American farmland, is it twofold? Do you think it has to do with threatening America's food security? And do you also think that it has to do with actually wanting to be able to spy on military bases that are proximal uh, to the plots of land that they're purchasing? Yeah, the, the, the simple answer to that is yes. If we are a sovereign nation that has sovereign borders, you could imagine the importance of being able to feed our own population and also being able to import and export goods, especially in the form of food. And if the Chinese Communist Party can control that in our country, then they could begin to control our economy even more so than they already do. Apparently right now, they're at about, they're at about 400 thousand acres that they own in our country. Now, they're trying to double that number over the course of the next few years. What I'm saying is we have got to stop that and stop that as soon as possible. But you're right. This should be a bipartisan issue. And unfortunately, it's not. I've been told that by 2035, we could be at war with China. And what I would love to do is do everything in our power to prevent that. But the way to prevent that is to lead from a position of strength. Right now, China does not fear us. They're looking at the weakest president that we have had since Jimmy Carter, and they are like sharks with chum in the water. And they are looking for every single opportunity to usurp our power for the future. Again, as I said earlier, these people think in terms of dynasties. We think in terms of every four-year increments. And so when there's an opportunity where they could sense weakness in our system, that's when they seize on this. That's when Vladimir Putin seizes on this. That's when Xi Jinping seizes on this. This is when Iran pushes to have yet another nuclear weapon. We are seeing this precipitate throughout the entire world, and that's because the Biden administration's weak policies. China is just the tip of the iceberg. We have got to take control of our sovereign nation. We've got to take control over our land and our own country. We cannot allow our food security and our international security to be controlled by the hands of the CCP. And that's why I am fighting tirelessly in the halls of Congress to ensure that we do just that. I'm a military guy by trade. I'm a West Point graduate by trade. And I'm going to tell you that if we don't fight back against some of these very fundamental issues, like the sovereignty of our own nation, then we're not going to have a nation in the future to come home to. Well, thank you for your service, Congressman. And I think it's very easy to make the case that we frankly are at war with China currently. It just hasn't turned kinetic yet, I think, by 2035, right? It's easy to to sort of make the case that they've already infiltrated us really to a a point beyond comprehension and and, and beyond belief. Um, But when it comes to to pushing back, obviously, I'm sure you're working on, on sponsoring or drafting legislation Um, To push back against this, I know we've seen similar legislative efforts come out of some state houses, certain governors pushing similar legislation. But before you you sort of drill down on what exactly you're doing on the Hill to to really codify this sentiment to legislation, I'm just curious, 
you know, what sort of pushback have you been seeing all the way up from the Biden White House all the way down to their lackeys on Capitol Hill? In other words, it should be a bipartisan issue, but is there sort of a, a part or a component or a cohort of, frankly, both parties, Democrats and Republicans, who have been so compromised by the Chinese Communist Party or bought into the narrative that they're more of an ally or a competitor as opposed to an existential threat? Um, who just can't support this issue? What what is sort of the the uh, the sentiments on the Hill about this issue? I want you to look no further than the handling of the southern border by the Biden administration. Now, one thing that we do know is that we've seen enough fentanyl pour into this country to kill every single American six times. Where is fentanyl made? In China. And who is buying the fentanyl? The cartel. And then who is funneling it into our country to kill our fellow Americans, the cartels through China. And the Chinese Communist Party knows exactly what they are doing. And we have a Biden administration that's complicit in all of this. We've seen 6.3 million people enter our country illegally. I just gave you the fentanyl number. And we don't need to control our own borders because we've given that control to the cartel. So what does that tell you about an administration that doesn't want to protect our sovereign border? I was in a hearing today and I was talking about how we are allowing migrants to live in very plush tents in New York City. And that's the that's the original carrot that people want to get to this country because I know they know that they're, they're going to be treated better than even everyday Americans. So when you have an administration that's willing to be complicit in plots like this, there's no wonder why the Chinese Communist Party believes that they can buy hundreds of thousands of farmlands around our military bases with impunity. And let me tell you something, that's not coming from the Republican Party. That is coming strictly from the Democrat Party. You are correct. This should not be a partisan issue. This should be an America first issue, meaning that we put our priorities first. The American taxpayer, the safety of the American should always be first. And this is an administration that doesn't want to see that. In fact, they are putting us last. Well, when you say the words Biden and complicit, I think the number one issue that comes to mind is, of course, the southern border. As you mentioned, you gave a wonderful speech. There was a wonderful hearing in the Judiciary Committee today about Biden's border crisis. I was about to say his botched withdrawal, but that was yesterday. We had a, one of your colleagues on talking about how the Biden regime also failed miserably in Afghanistan. But I, I think it sort of brings me to, to what I want to ask you about, which is there are a lot of people who are quick to say that the Biden regime is just incompetent. And that's why we keep seeing these issues happening, whether it's our border, whether it's the border between Ukraine and Russia, or whether it's the border in Afghanistan. But when lightning kind of hits the same place twice, three, four, five, six, seven times, it almost makes you think that there's something else going on. So I think why your speech today was so wonderful and so insightful is because you really laid out the carrots, in other words, the way that the Biden regime is enticing and frankly inviting um, this border surge, this border crisis uh, from really day one of their administration. So before I let you go, if you just want to sort of walk through, in your in your opinion, if you think that what's going on at the southern border, if it is intentional on the hands of the Biden regime, and if so, how exactly they're going about enticing these massive uh, waves, really tidal waves uh, of migrants from countries, including China. 
This morning, I heard the story of a mother that lost her daughter. She was strangled to death by a gang member that came across the border and murdered her daughter. And it was an absolutely terrifying thing. And being the father of two little girls, I can't imagine how Miss Nobles feels. And my heart certainly goes out to her and her family because we, as a federal government, failed them. The number one role of the federal government is to keep our citizens safe. That's what I risk my life for as an Apache pilot in the Army. That's what thousands of brave men and women do every single day, is to keep our nation a sovereign nation. And so when you are looking at an administration that has chosen to do absolutely nothing about the southern border, but to continue to allow criminals enter our country with impunity, we have allowed the cartels to run our border with impunity, and yet they continue to allow this to happen. Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris was deemed to be our border czar a long time ago, and this woman hasn't even gone down to visit the border. Mayorkas needs to be impeached. We know all these things because that's a great derelict of duty when your number one role is to keep citizens safe, and you don't do that. It's their inaction that's shown so much to me. And you're right, the word complicit comes to mind. The, the idea that they want to keep us safe, they don't want to keep us safe. That's what comes to my mind. And I wonder why. What are you going to get from having six million people enter our country illegally? That's the equivalent to seven or eight congressional districts. Why would you allow this to happen in our country? And that's because you want to turn this into a socialist nation. And there are congressmen and women like me that are standing up and we're saying absolutely not on our watch. And look, we have two more years of this. Joe Biden's administration is not going to stop, but it's up to us in Congress to show the American people, look, if you put us in charge, you let us have the House, you let us have the Senate, you put us in charge of the presidency, here's what we can do to protect our citizens and get this country back to the way it was when President Trump was our president, particularly before the pandemic. That's what we have to fight tirelessly for. It's a game of inches, and we are in it for the long haul. The Biden regime is certainly a clown show, but that might be too nice or to, to clown. You're very kind. Uh, You're very kind. <laughs> <laughs> Congressman, thank you so much for joining us. It really is an honor to have you on. If people want to follow you on social media and support you and your work, where can they go? Please go to WesleyForTexas.com. That's WesleyForTexas.com. All my handles are there. And again, love being on the show. Please give Steve my best. Please, anytime, let me know. God bless you. And thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on, sir. Well, moving on along down the southern border and all the craziness that's going on there, you know, it's not just that these illegal aliens are being met and allowed to enter this country with impunity. They're actually getting five-star accommodations and flat-screen TVs and Xboxes and beds and three meals a day and phones, and the list goes on. They're almost as well-funded as the Ukrainian military, basically any country except the United States, seems to be number one on the priority list of the Biden regime. Do you know that half of the hotel rooms in New York City right now are presently being occupied by illegal aliens? can't even fathom these numbers. It's, it's so crazy. But joining me to discuss this and really drill down into the details, not just the scare tactics, as I'm sure the Democrats would say, is Wade Miller from the wonderful and one of my personal favorites, the Center for Renewing America. Seems like War Room likes to have a lot of you guys on. 
because you guys do such great work, but I'd love to get your thoughts. I saw this story come across actually my Twitter feed because you guys tweeted it out. Uh, but the Biden regime is basically, I mean, they're always playing into the hands of the cartels and human traffickers and human smugglers, but actually from a legislative point of view, they are now ending DNA testing of migrant children at the border, which is really the key way to stop human trafficking by the cartels. They're now enacting that policy amidst the end of Title 42 to make the border get even crazier if that was even possible. That's right. And thanks for having me on. So when a, a pilot program was run on this uh, testing procedure, they detected that upwards of 19 percent of children were with adults who they didn't belong to, or at least were not genetically related to them. Now, even if we're very conservative here and say half of those uh, were from parent, you know, uh, non-biological parents and legal uh, guardians, that's still a huge number of children that are being trafficked into this country. And so by uh, getting rid of this pilot program, you're essentially signaling to the cartels that you know it's open season on child trafficking. And let's be clear here. The Biden administration is doing this on purpose. They are purposely taking away an enforcement tool from agents on the ground on the border because this is the result they want. They want everything that is happening on, on the border right now is because the Biden administration is either OK with it or actively wants it. No, I, I think the intentionality point is key because when, you know, we step back and say, oh, my God, I can't believe the Biden regime is doing this. But that's that's not the correct response because they've been planning and plotting this for an extremely long time. I'd argue it goes back decades. But when it comes to the motivations for why they're doing this, I think it's it's a given that it's all intentional. Um, you guys obviously do a lot of work in drilling down into the semantics, the details of, of really the why and the how. But what is is the ultimate push? You know, I remember I used to read, it seemed like a lot of the reasons that they were pushing for mass migration had to do with solidifying a democratic electorate. They loved the free votes. But it seems like there's something sort of more sinister. I think there's a more of a nuanced interpretation into why they're inviting this, like I said, tidal wave of illegal immigrants. It, it seems like it's part of a larger plot to really destroy the fabric of America and American culture um, by, like I said, a, a large scale invasion of military age, predominantly, you know, young men. Uh, but from from your perspective and the wonderful work that you have done at the Center for Renewing America, why why do you think the Biden regime is so boldly in support of open borders? Sure. So there's a lot of different motivations here, but if, if you want to really drill into some of the underlying ideologies at play here, it can go back you know, decades, if not generations. If you look at the open society work that has really animated a lot of what the left has done as they've moved through to uh, you know, capture institutions in the United States, it's really been aimed at the idea of you know, having a strong national unity and, and being patriotic. And so I, I think at the, uh, you know, they've wanted to destroy that for a long time. That's very clear also from the Frankfurt School uh, of academic, uh, you know, lineage there where they tried to institute neo-Marxist ideology throughout America because they understood that they couldn't take down the United States and our culture through a class-based uh, uh, fight. So they wanted to go with an uh, identity-based uh, neo-Marxist perspective. And so those two contributed heavily to what we're seeing now, which is where the left buys into a lot of this idea of multiculturalism, 
But it's not just multiculturalism and, and the nicest sense that you could possibly define it. it. It's methodical in that it's meant to really supplant and destroy the underlying culture. Under a, a just and, and, and righteous immigration system, you can have people come here, but they go through a process. One, they come here for the right reasons. Two, it needs to be for the betterment of the United States, as your previous uh, you know, uh, 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 caller or, or person uh, you know, mentioned that everything that we do needs to be about America first. Our tax dollars need to be made to prioritize us as Americans and, and taxpayers and those who live here legally. So we can have people come here if it's in the best interest of the United States, if they believe in the ideals, but the left doesn't want that. They want people to come here. They're not going through naturalization processes. They're not taking courses on what it means to be America. They're going into schools that are then teaching them to hate America and that America is evil. This is intentional, you know, and, and I'm not I can't speak absolutely for every single Democrat, you know, on the planet. But certainly a huge proportion of the elitist uh, liberal progressive Democrat coalition here. That's their underlying motivation. They want to destroy American culture by bringing anyone on, on, on the planet here in large numbers with their own cultures to supplant ours. And it's not a race thing. It's not a faith thing. It's not a sex-based thing. It's just bringing people here who do not agree with the underlying culture. And that animates a lot of it. And look, they also know that downstream from this will be people who tend to vote for them because a lot of the people who come here illegally, unlike people who, who qualify to come here legally, are going to qualify for a lot of public benefits. And why would you want to vote against uh, Santa Claus uh, in elections when that's where your bread and butter is? That's who's taking care of you through all sorts of programs and, and uh, uh, benefits. You know, it's not, you know, the left is going to say that everything that I just said is xenophobic and racist. It's not racist. It's not xenophobic. I'm just calling out what the left is doing. We're fine with people coming here who want to love America and become a part of our society and uplift our culture and our principles. But we're not okay with people coming here that want to destroy America. And the Democrats know that, and that's what they're actually fomenting and, and, and uplifting right now. I think there's no shortage of issues that Republicans love to show how spineless they can be on. I think immigration might just take the cake, legal and illegal. Unfortunately, we know there's a huge corporatist faction within the Republican Party who loves their cheap labor, at least for their, don their donors. Um, but speaking about how Republicans can actually push back from the legislative side of things, um, it seems like the Texas House is having some interesting stuff, not almost as crazy as what's going on on the southern border, uh, not quite, uh, but go on in terms of their efforts to push back against what's unfolding on their state's borders. If you want to walk us through what's going on there. Sure. So I get a little bit tired of Republicans just pointing at Joe Biden and saying the border is all his fault. It is primarily his fault. And I, and I agree wholeheartedly when people come on here and blame him and attack him for uh, you know, supporting open borders. But Republicans have the ability, especially in states they control, to secure the border. So Texas can secure their border right now. They can invoke Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3, and do it themselves. They can lock down sections of border and remove people back across the border specifically because President Biden is not upholding Article 4, Section 4. This doesn't violate federal immigration law. It doesn't violate uh, Arizona v. U.S. because this is a constitutional authority. It is not inferior to uh, 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 federal statutes. It gets you outside of the immigration law silo and firmly in a constitutional position. And we actually had a bill in Texas, HB 20, that had language to this effect to kind of affirm and support the governor's ability to do this. And the speaker there, Dade Phelan, 
uh, killed the bill. He sabotaged it after, you know, essentially signaling that it was going to pass, making it a speaker priority, and then at the last minute killing it. And then, of course, a week later, he shows up on the Texas floor so drunk he can barely speak. This is the kind of clown show that is going on in Texas. We need leadership there. And, you know, to his credit, the attorney general of Texas, Ken Paxton, just today called on the speaker of the Texas House, a Republican, to resign for his conduct. And, and I think that that's the right play call here. Uh, we need people in Texas who will lead and will actively support Governor Abbott should he choose to use his constitutional power, and he should, and then therefore move forward, stop the invasion, and show D.C. how it can be done. Right now, we're getting kind of milk-warm responses, a couple of spots here on the border done, a couple of spots here, uh, you know, down, you know, another section of the border. We need large sections of the border locked down. We need people, when they come across illegally, turned right back around, put right back across the river and instructed to go to a legal port of entry. Now, look, if the, the feds may decide to process them there and we can uh, uh, take a look at responses as, as, you know, as it may. And I know that the, the U.S. House, the congressional delegation just passed a, a bill that would firm up a lot of the federal immigration and, and border security statutes. But states can do this. They can secure their borders. They have this constitutional power. The courts have, uh, have already kind of signaled that these are non-justiciable issues. So if the state of Texas were to do this, the courts would likely, if they're relying on precedent, say that this is a political question. We don't get to define how this is used. This is up to the states and we'll let voters decide. Governor Abbott can do this. He can do it tomorrow. The Texas House and the Texas Senate, led by uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick on the Senate side, and the Attorney General Ken Paxton should all affirm this, and they should call on Governor Abbott to do it today. Wade, thank you so much for joining us. If people want to stay up to date with what you're working on and what the center's doing, where can they find you guys? Sure. So we're on all of the social media platforms, True Social, Twitter, uh, our, our website is americarenewing.com. That's americarenewing.com. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Wade Miller underscore USMC. Thank you so much, Wade. Thanks for having me on. Of course, the Center for Renewing America truly does fantastic work. But speaking of two more gentlemen who do fantastic work, we're going to be having Mike Davis and Joe Kent, of course, regulars and stars of the show joining us after the break but until we go to the break i just want to let you know about a story i broke not too long ago on warroom.org that might just make your head blow up believe it or not less than four weeks before title 42 was set to expire here in the united states when the u.s border patrol needed really all hands all arms all everything on deck and biden said well i can't do anything title 42 is going to expire do you know what his administration was doing or sorry his regime they were giving millions of taxpayer dollars to the Ukraine Border Patrol, the Ukraine State Border Services. Like I said, less than four weeks before Title 42 was set to expire here. It's not just intentional what they're doing. They're laughing at you because they think they can get away with it. But they can't. So you guys, we'll be right back. I started off this show quoting Sun Tzu, saying that the supreme art of war is to subdue the enemy without fighting. Now, usually when I say that, it's in the context of the Chinese Communist Party and their vast influence and infiltration efforts here in the United States. But that statement, that axiom, might just be applicable, frankly, to enemies within the Biden regime and what they want to do 
with America's military. Joining me to discuss some rather preposterous plans that really can't be explained by any logical angle of attack is Joe Kent, a dear friend of the show. Thank you for joining us, Joe. So if I if I get this correctly, and I, I read a lot of crazy stories, but this might uh, might take the cake for today. Uh, but while the Biden regime wants to fund every woke DR, uh, DR, CRT, DEI, it's hard to keep track of all the, the acronyms, uh, initiative in the military and abroad that they can find, it seems like they quite literally want to defund the military, our actual fighting forces. Can you walk us through what they want to do? Yeah, I, I saw this story today from uh, Defense One that talked about how they want to reduce the money spent on our special operations forces by somewhere between 10 to 30 percent, which is absolutely ridiculous because our special operations forces, Green Berets, Navy SEALs, psychological operations, intelligence specialists, they've been at the tip of the spear of not just the global war on terror, but basically everything that's happening abroad. And they're a very small force in comparison to the rest of the conventional military. And look, at the end of the day, our military has the money to fund drag queen story hour on our military bases. They have the money to finance a literal drag queen as the spokesperson for the Navy. But they're going to go after our combat capability. Again, this isn't just the Biden regime blundering through, you know, some other disaster. This is very, very deliberate that they're going after the special operations forces. Like to call people's attention to the fact that uh, the special operations forces, it's the first command that actually got a uh, diversity, equity and inclusion uh, commissar put in right when the Biden regime first took power to start targeting and demoralizing our warfighters specifically. It's been a lot of talk about prioritization of payments with the debt ceiling, right? Steve always says that. And I think that's sort of an interesting parallel to draw here because it seems that the Biden regime has prioritized the payments of, like you said, these woke DEI-driven commissars and not even just funding drag queen story hours on our bases, but funding them abroad in all of these other countries. Uh, I'm just curious, you laid out in this tweet what you would do, how to push back, and I agree, as I, th I think a lot of the war with Poxy would, um, but what do you think in terms of the military's and their strategic objectives, what they should be prioritizing in terms of funding, obviously amidst this whole discussion with the debt ceiling. When we're looking for corners to cut and places to limit and trim spending, I don't necessarily know if the special operations forces should be where we start. Maybe the Biden regime would beg to differ. Then again, their priority seems to be destroying America from within, so that makes sense. Um, but in your in your opinion, how would you counter this if there is some funding that needs to be cut? What should be the path of the Biden regime in a perfect America first world uh, that they should take? Yeah, especially when we're talking about defense funding, I think the great place to start is foreign aid. I mean, in the last fiscal year, we gave 55 billion in foreign aid to countries, many of which, quite frankly, hate us. But then there's also the 170 billion, which is just an estimate that the numbers seem to change all the time. 170 billion that we've given to this war in Ukraine, which is a strategic disaster, as we talk about quite frequently here on the war room. But this idea that we're running out of money, it, it's absolutely absurd. I mean, you guys hit it all the time. We have plenty of cash coming in. We have enough money for the essential things for Biden to go and say, well, now, if you guys want to mess with the budget, we have plenty of money for 
all these foreign adventures abroad, but we're going to need to cut our special operations forces. So we're going to stay spread thin throughout the world, providing aid to all these different countries, but we're going to shortchange our war fighters. Unless you were trying to, to deliberately destroy our country and our readiness, there's, there's no other, there's no better way to do it. So I really think you just start with foreign aid at the, at the beginning of all these discussions, we give so much money to all these different countries. You know, I was looking at Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren talking about how the uh, Republicans won't touch defense spending, but we, still don't have Medicare for everybody. Look, hey, all the money that these guys want for these great progressive uh, projects, it all got sent overseas to Ukraine. I mean, can you just imagine what would happen if our political elite in Washington, D.C., if their starting premise was to put the American people first with the nearly $5 trillion we take in every year in taxes? It's absolutely ridiculous. The American people should just be outraged at the games that are being played right now and the fact that our ruling class talks to us like we're a bunch of idiots, like we don't know what's going on right now. I want to drill down on the deliberate nature of this, because I think that's sort of really the, the running thread, the, the shared theme, whether it's immigration, Ukraine, the military, any of the policies that we see the Biden regime pushing. But specifically when it comes to the military and you try to make sense of what's going on in Ukraine, I'm a, a, a hardcore student of Sun Tzu. I've read so much of, of his work, obviously, because the Chinese Communist Party abides by it. And it's important to, of course, know thy enemy. But nowhere in any of his writings is there anything about if you want to strengthen your country, you should give trillions of dollars to a Eastern European country to help them fight a war that they can't win. By the way, the country is also notoriously rife with money laundering and corruption. And even if they do win, it doesn't actually impact us. I've never heard that strategy play out well for anyone. Um, but you obviously have amazing geopolitical understandings, the nuances you were on the ground, you, you get this issue. And I think your viewpoint, your vantage point aligns with that of Steve's, my own, the war room policy. Before I let you go, since it's been some time, I think, since you've been on the show, how do you make sense of what's going on in Ukraine? What's your theory of the case in terms of Joe Biden and, and his cronies prioritizing Ukraine over really any issue, any really any American. I mean, first and foremost, look, they're putting other countries first. And I think that's what everyone should be outraged. You don't need to have a deep understanding of the world international relations to understand that our border is wide open. We have uh, fentanyl killing thousands of Americans every year. And we've prioritized this conflict that is thousands of miles away. On a much bigger scale, look, this is the elites. This is the party of Davos, the uh, permanent ruling class in Washington, D.C. They need this war in order to not just fund the military industrial complex, not just to run their money laundering, which is you know very profitable for them, but also really they need Russia to be the bad, the bad boogeyman they, they throw this military at, that they prop NATO up, they continue to expand in NATO, because this allows them to distract from the main enemy, which is the Chinese Communist Party. Because if you get at the heart of the Chinese Communist Party, you have to go after Wall Street, you have to go after how compromised our elite are. So it's much better for us to remain distracted with Russia. And don't get me wrong, Putin's a bad guy, but Russia is just not that big of a threat. But in doing this with this horrible strategy, especially throwing the sanctions package at, at Russia that we did, we, we've really just played right in the Chinese Communist Party's hands. We've confined this economy. You guys cover it every day, the economies of Russia and China. And now we have OPEC joining in, in league with the Chinese Communist Party, consolidating the BRICS against us, really to take down 
our, our status as a prime reserve currency holder. So I, I think the Biden regime is driving us absolutely off of a cliff right now. And these people have already shown us that they will stop at nothing to continue this war. I mean, we think we have what I think 50,000 dead just in Bakhmut alone of, of Ukrainians. I mean, this is going to keep going on until we actually get tough and we defund it. We need people in Congress right now to demand that our elected officials actually have some accountability and call for a war powers resolution and make every single representative put their name on the dotted line. And the American people need to demand an absolute end to this before we hit World War III potentially, because Putin will not lose in Ukraine. I don't say that because I, I want Putin to win. I say that because the, the uh, sovereignty of their border is in their national, their vital national security interest. It is an existential threat to Russia. So the more that we push NATO, the more that we continue to attempt to bleed Russia out via Ukraine, the closer we move to World War III or the Chinese Communist Party taking down our status as a prime reserve currency holder. So there's, there's no gain for the U.S. here. There's only a gain for our permanent political class. Certainly easy for the Biden regime to play into the hands of the Chinese Communist Party when that's the same hand that's funding Hunter Biden. I know the old saying goes, don't bite the hand that feeds you. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. If people want to stay up to date with what you're working on and how things are going on your side of the country, where can people follow you and support you? Yeah, please go to JoeKentForCongress.com. If anybody can give any amount, $5, $10, $15 per month, that helps me uh, gain the momentum to take down the Democrat. This is the most flippable seat in 2024. JoeKentForCongress.com is the place for that. Thank you so much for having me, Natalie. Thank you so much for joining us, Joe. Best of luck. I'm sure we will see you soon. Thank you. Take care. Awesome. Well, speaking of taking Democrats down... That's what the FBI should be doing when you have evidence of foreign collusion and bribery and private email servers. But I guess if you have a Democrat after your name or if you're part of the established Republican class, you don't get that same treatment. You actually get the FBI to serve as your own personal Praetorian guard. Seems nice. This show knows a little bit about political persecution and the the weaponized federal government at the hands of the FBI and DOJ. Hillary Clinton knows nothing about that. You guys probably saw today on Twitter. She was worried that Florida has now become a state that is not nice to multi-million dollar corporations. Shows you where her priorities lie and always have lied. Joining me to discuss really some groundbreaking revelations about what the FBI has been doing or frankly hasn't been doing when it comes to the notorious Clinton family is a good friend of the show, Mike Davis who put out, if I may say so myself, a pretty fire press release from the Article 3 project today, talking about what we know the FBI really was a dereliction of duty, but the intentionality behind that um, when it came to running cover for the Clinton family. Meanwhile, of course, really indicting, at least in the court of public opinion, the Trump family for bogus ties to Russia. Mike, if we have you down the line, I think we do. If you could walk us through what we now know for certain the FBI did or frankly didn't do when it came to the Clinton family. Yeah, thank you, Natalie. The FBI knew that then Secretary of State had an illegal home server with America's most classified secrets when she was the Secretary of State. The FBI also knew that this was almost certainly hacked by America's uh, worst enemies. The FBI also knew that this home server contained damning evidence of the Clinton Foundation's illegal paper uh, play bribery scheme 
with foreign governments, and the FBI also knew that Hillary Clinton obstructed just obstructed justice when she destroyed this home server in in the face of a congressional subpoena. Subpoena. So let's look at what did the FBI do? How did they respond to this? Well, we just found out from the New York Times yesterday that the FBI returned or, or destroyed the remaining evidence to Hillary Clinton. And we also know that the FBI colluded in 2016 with Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign, along with President Obama, Vice President Biden, uh, the, the Biden, or the, excuse me, the Obama Attorney General, the Obama CIA Director, and others to concoct the baseless Russian collusion hoax against President Trump in July of 20. 2016 to distract from Hillary Clinton's own troubles. And we know that this led to the bogus crossfire hurricane investigation against President Trump that hobbled him during the first three years of his of his presidency. And look, I mean, they did the same thing. Not only did they interfere in the 2016 election, they also interfered in the 2020 election by burying evidence that the Bidens were corruptly taking millions of dollars from Chinese, Ukrainian, and, and Romanian oligarchs. And I, we also know from my former boss, Chuck Grassley, that the FBI has evidence that then-Vice President took a foreign bribe and changed American policy, and the FBI buried this through 2020 and even through today. They're still burying this. They're, they're still hiding this evidence. So we have 2016, the FBI interfered with, 2020, the FBI interfered with, and they're interfering in 2024 by ordering this unprecedented, unlawful, unnecessary home raid on the office of former president and Mar-a-Lago back in August. And the real reason they did this, as we've discussed repeatedly on the show, Natalie, is because the FBI was trying to get back President Trump's declassified copy of the crossfire hurricane records that he declassified via presidential memo the day before he left office and President Biden never made them public. You know, you have Jim Jordan speaking on Sunday with Maria Bartiromo, actually threatening FBI their funding and reaction rather in response to the Durham report. And of course, their continued stonewalling of that FD 1023 form detailing that pay for play scheme. You've obviously always held congressional Republicans feet to the fire. You've been doing it for quite some time now, and we've seen pretty good results on that end. What do you think congressional Republicans, specifically leadership, needs to do to actually turn this whole thing around, actually get some real accountability, if at this point it's even possible? Well, I mean, as you know, Natalie, I've been a vocal critic for a long time of Speaker McCarthy and House Judiciary Committee Jim, Jim Jordan on the big tech fight, but I have become a convert and supporters of them in these recent oversight fight, fights, particularly with Jim Jordan uh, showing some backbone and going after Alvin Bragg up in New York for Alvin Bragg's bogus indictment of President Trump. So what I would say that Comer and Jordan and McCarthy need to do is they need to issue subpoenas for every single bad actor involved for James Comey, the former FBI director, for Andrew McCabe, the former FBI deputy director, Peter Strzok, the former FBI senior intel official, uh, uh, Obama, Biden, the, the AG, all these people who were involved with this need to get subpoenas. They need to issue subpoenas for documents. They need to issue subpoenas for depositions. And then they need to issue subpoenas for public hearings. They need to be brought before the American people 
and make them explain to the American people what they knew and when they know, knew it, what they did and why. And there needs to be political accountability here. I don't think they can raise the the the, uh, the, the Fifth Amendment saying that they can't, they don't want to incriminate themselves because I, I think they're beyond the statute of limitations here. So they have no reason they can't come testify. They need to issue subpoenas and get these people before Congress immediately and get their documents before that. Specifically on the FD-1023 form, right, this is again the whistleblower document that details the uh, the pay-for-play scheme. You know, it seems like the FBI is refusing to give that over. I think we now have a second whistleblower coming from the IRS who's fearful of retaliation from the Biden regime for doing what they should do, blowing the whistle about how the DOJ is running cover for Hunter Biden. You, of course, had Comer saying that basically 90 percent of their whistleblowers are either in jail, uh, caught in court proceedings or missing in some cases. It really seems like the Praetorian Guard is, you know, out in full force, in full effect. Uh, from a legal standpoint, you know, do you think congressional Republicans, I know you say you're a convert, but on those fronts, right, on uh, specifically on the whistleblower, are they are they doing enough? Where do we stand with that? And and using your brilliant legal mind, you know, how would you get the FBI to comply? How would you actually get to see and get our hands on that document? Well, I would just say that this is a red line and Chris Ray has to comply with the subpoena. And if he doesn't comply with the subpoena, then uh, House Republicans need to hold him in contempt of Congress and they need to cut off his funding and they need to make it very painful until he complies with the subpoena. I worked for Chuck Grassley two times, once when I graduated from college and once for the first two years of the Trump administration, like 18 years later. And I'll tell you what, Chuck Grassley has been the king of oversight and the great protector of whistleblowers for 40 plus years in Congress. And he knows this document exists. He never overplays his hands. Uh, he, when he says something is true, it's true. So I guarantee you that this document exists. I guarantee you that this document evidences that then Vice President Blazin, King of Oversight and the great protector of whistleblowers for 40 of the Trump administration, like 18 years later. And I'll tell you what, Chuck Grassley has been the king of oversight and the great protector of whistleblowers for 40 plus years in Congress. And he knows this document exists. He never overplays his hands. Uh, and when he says something is true, it's true. So I guarantee you that this document exists. I guarantee you that this document evidences that then Vice President Joe Biden took a foreign bribe. And I guarantee you that this document shows that then Vice President Joe Biden changed American policy based upon that foreign bribe. If that's true, there is no chance that President Biden can stay in office. Even Democrats would have to agree with that. If a, if a if a former vice president is willing to sell out his country for his personal gain, what would a president do? And right, we've seen with the Bidens that they have sent millions and millions of dollars to every scumbag Biden and their family, except for the four-year-old granddaughter that they don't claim, but every other scumbag Biden gets money. There is no question that President Biden is compromised, and I don't see how he finishes out his term. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. If people want to stay tuned with what you're working on, I know Boris likes to come in hot on Instagram, but you certainly come in hot on Twitter all day. Where can people follow you and stay up to date with what you're working on? Yeah, thank you, Natalie. It's at 
article three project at article number three project on getter twitter truth my personal is at mrddmian twitter getter truth and if you want to donate go to article three project.org article number three project.org thank you thank you so much for joining us mike So here we are, guys. We're back with Wendy's Boutique, wendyslimited.com, wendyslimited.com, and the hottest boutique couture online, boutique supremacy online, Wendy's Boutique. So we've got to remind you guys, wendyslimited.com, our great sponsor. Please go and support her and support uh, all the hardworking folks over there that are trying to bring you the best fashion design and designer brand name labels anywhere. So we just have to remind you that wendyslimited.com, Wendy'slimited.com is where you need to go.